go ahead and stand as we get started tonight. Everybody okay? Happy Valentine's Day. Did you get taken out? No? That's okay. It's just another day. <laughs> we, uh, Sheila had doctor, my, my gift to Sheila was she had her injections today in her legs and her arms and we went to lunch afterwards and the lady was talking about, what are y'all going to do for Valentine's? I said, this is it. <laughs> and uh, she said, really? And I said, yeah, after 37 years, it's another day. If she doesn't know she's my Valentine, then we're in trouble, right? <laughs> Thanks for being with us online tonight. Let's open up in prayer. How many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. If you're online, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you as well. Uh, let's just pray. Father, tonight we're so grateful uh, Lord, what a beautiful day. Uh, Lord, just all around us as we move into the springtime, uh, Lord, thank you for just all the reminders of life. Lord, you said that you set before us uh, life and death, blessing and cursing to choose life, and we do that. And we thank you, uh, Lord, just for uh, just today, what a, what a, a good day. Uh, Lord, I pray for those tonight as we open up. We, uh, Lord, we still are needy people. Uh, Lord, it doesn't take long to find human need. And so, Father, we come to you tonight with, uh, Lord, with the needs that we have, the hands that went up, those that are online tonight. Father, I pray for those that need healing. Uh, Lord, we still believe uh, that you are a healer. Lord, for those that need some encouragement tonight, Lord, we thank you that you are our courage. You are our strength. You're that strong tower that we can run to and are safe. And, Father, we rejoice in that. I pray for those that need a financial miracle, Lord, that you would supernaturally provide uh, Lord, for those that are discouraged tonight, again, encourage them, uphold them with your powerful right hand. We pray for all the ministries that are taking place on campus tonight. Lord, may you be exalted and lifted high in all things. And we pray for those that, uh, Lord, have lost loved ones recently. Lord, we pray that you will continue to be that friend that sticks closer than a brother uh, to them. And for those that are uh, uh, traveling, Lord, that your hand would be upon them. Uh, Lord, be with us in our time of study. Lord, we pray for revival in our land and we pray, God, let it start with us. We just ask it tonight in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. 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 God bless you. you. may be seated tonight. Uh, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, we're going to continue with our series tonight entitled Twisted. And a couple of announcements. Um, don't forget, uh, coming up, uh, my mind just went absolutely uh, blank. I, I was sitting out there. I, you know, you ever hit a computer and that thing just starts spinning? That's kind of what my brain's doing right now. It's spinning. I know there's something there. It just hasn't, hasn't popped up yet. Uh, don't forget the uh, next Thursday is uh, our food distribution. Actually, tomorrow. Uh, I saw Betty nod her head there. So tomorrow is our senior lunch. Uh, so make plans to come on out and enjoy the senior lunch tomorrow. And then also, uh, of course, services on Sunday. You don't want to miss the services on Sunday. Uh, next Thursday is our next food distribution. And that will be here. Uh, I'm hoping that by April we can get everything moved to here. So the two will be here on property. Uh, but next Thursday it's one here. And then the Watoto uh, Children's Choir will be with us on the 25th. That's a week from Sunday. That Sunday night at 6.30 they, they are the orphans from uh, Uganda. And uh, I'm excited to see them. Uh, we, it was, we had them scheduled in 2020. And uh, they didn't come. <laughs> Uh, they got shut down, uh, like so many other things. We had them scheduled again in 2022, and uh, they were still uh, unable to travel uh, from Africa, and now they're just getting back in uh, the groove of it. So I'm really, really excited. Also, don't forget, coming up a little bit, not too distant, well, Sunday, right after service, the second service is our annual business celebration, but uh, April, April, March, March the 24th, it's been one of those weeks. Anybody ever had a week like that? I've been all over creation, uh, and so my brain's a little frazzled from all the running. But March the 24th is our annual Friend Day, and uh, we're going to be having uh, a, a brand-new illustrated sermon here entitled, What If? And uh, you want to bring your friends. This is a it's going to be a powerful message. Uh, we're looking forward to a packed house. We'll do one service that day. Packed house, packed altar, that's what it's all about. So anyway, those are things that are happening. Uh, let's get right into our teaching tonight, Twisted. Um, and so we're going to talk about a very famous passage of Scripture that, that uh, it, I think maybe tonight 
we'll see it in a different light. My message is entitled, In the Midst. So Matthew 18, beginning verse number 15, says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained a brother or your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. (laughs) April 15th, (laughs) here it comes. Verse 18, assuredly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth, <coughs> pardon me, concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. I'm going to focus on that last verse there, verse 20. For where two or three gather together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. So this series is about, uh, we started it last week and I did an introductory teaching on uh, twisted, uh, taking scripture out of context and we looked at a little bit of the danger that there is. The Bible is a powerful book, but when you misconstrue it or twist it, it, it's, it can be very dangerous. And, and so uh, we're going to look at over the next few weeks a few scriptures that are, that are taken out of, out of, out of context and and tonight is one of those that I have to admit, I've done that a number of times myself. I've quoted that verse, and, and I know, you know, you know better, but I do it anyway. You know, we've all heard verse 20, right? How many of us, how many of us have said, for where two or three gather together in my name, there he is in the midst. Now, what we mean is that God is among a small group of people. That's what we mean. That's not what that verse means. <laughs> That's not what that verse means. Um, and so we're going to look at that and just kind of see how subtle it is. Um, you know, truthfully, there, here's the thing. There is precedent that God's presence is with us as we gather, but the verse is not talking about it in that sense. I mean, if God were, were two or three people gathering his name, what about when we pray alone? I mean, if that's the criteria that God is where two or three gather in his name, then what about when, when you and I have our private devotion time? What about when we pray by ourselves? Is he not there? Well, the answer is obviously yes, he is. Uh, so we have to start digging a little bit and find out exactly what he's talking about. So this is why learning the context of a passage is so important. You know, sound bites are popular in our culture. You know, we, I mean, think about sound bites. Think about commercials. Have it your way? Burger King. Yeah, you know, spe- uh, what is that special, hold the, hold the pickle, hold the lettuce, special orders, don't upset us, you know, cow gone. Yeah, she's looking at me like, that's way, I'm, that's way before <laughs> my time. You know, uh, how about this one, oh, what a feeling. Anybody know that one? Toyota, that's right. <laughs> Toyota. What's that? Oh, yeah, where's the beef? Do you know that one? Yeah. <laughs> where's the beef? I'm picking at you tonight. So, so, I mean, sound bites. We, you know, even my granddaughters will go around singing a commercial that they've seen. They, if a commercial comes on, they'll, it's just something. We live by sound bites, and, and, and it's very popular. Sound bites, uh, if we're not careful, we, you know, we take those out of context. For example, I, I read a story about a news reporter that was talking to a, a company spokesperson about what they were thinking was going to be an impending uh, layoff, a potential layoff of the company. So the reporter asked the spokesperson, can you confirm the rumor, this is what they asked, can you confirm the rumor that mass layoffs will happen next quarter? The spokesperson says, there is no truth to the rumor that there will be mass layoffs next quarter. The reporter quotes him in the newspaper by saying, there will be mass layoffs in the next quarter. It had nothing to do. He didn't say that. And yet today we live by sound bites. We, you know, now you have to, what, what did Paul Harvey used to say? For the rest of the story, 
Now we have to investigate what's the rest of the story. Because to shape opinions, you only get half the story. To shape the ideological beliefs of a crowd, you only give half of a presentation. Uh, you know, it's so easy to tri twist statements to mean something that the speaker or the writer really never intended. How many uh, how many's ever heard me say something like, I, I, I say it often, don't read between the lines because there's nothing there. Anybody ever heard me say that? I, I say it a lot because I don't, there's nothing there. <laughs> I say don't read between, between the lines because there's nothing there. And, what, and where that came from was many years ago, probably in the late 90s, had a lady that uh, came to my office one day after uh, one early on in the week and was upset about something that I allegedly preached on Sunday morning. And she said, I don't, I, she was kind of upset and she said a statement that I supposedly said. And of course that was totally what she said it was totally out of character for me to even say something like that. And I said, I did not say that. She said, you did. That's why I'm here. She said, I'm upset about it. And she said, I, I think maybe we need to re, kind of rethink some things. And I said, I'm telling you, I did not say what you think I said. Well, we tape everything. And so I said, you know what? Find it for me. I gave her a tape. I said, find me where I said that and let me hear it. She comes back a few days later and she said, I'm sorry, you didn't say that. And so, I got, you know, I got to where if I start talking about things that I perceive as being easy to read between the lines, I'll say, don't read between the lines. Because it's so easy, listen, it's so easy to manipulate words to fit a particular narrative. It's so easy to take what someone says. You know, I, I joke about text messaging. And, and you hear people talk about, well, they're mad at me. Well, how do you know? What, are they typing all caps? <laughs> you know? I mean, maybe they, maybe they didn't wear their glasses. I resemble that. <laughs> you know, maybe they didn't wear their glasses and they're typing in caps so they can read it. But, but the other person perceives it as being they're mad at me or being a smart aleck. You see how easy it is to take things out of context and misconstrue it to mean something that it absolutely does not mean. You know, if you want to shape public opinion, twist words and misconstrue facts. I mean, again, with the, with the election cycle, hoorah, we're in the middle of a election, an election cycle. Uh, here's, here's what I would say with the candidates that are running. Investigate them. Check their records. If they've been in office, they have a voting record. Look at their voting record. Don't listen to their mouth because the votes will tell the true story that sometimes don't line up with what they say. Again, I just think that's wisdom because it's so easy to manipulate the crowds just by words. You know, and, and actual votes reveal the truth while words convey an idea that may not reflect what they actually do. You know, they can call themselves a conservative all day long, but if their votes reveal they're otherwise, they're otherwise, right? Isn't that the truth? How many of you saw the, uh, the Super Bowl commercial, there's been a big brouhaha about the Jesus Save, uh, excuse me, the Jesus Gets Us commercials. I don't know if you saw that on, on TV, but it kind of illustrates a point. Um, if you saw that, there's a, there was a, they spent $14 million on this Jesus Gets Us commercial during the Super Bowl. The, if you saw it, what you saw was a presentation of Jesus that was incomplete. It was incomplete, totally incomplete. And what it presented, and, and nothing in those ads, if you watch that, nothing in those ads mention repentance or our helpless estate. Not, not one thing. You know, there was no mention of sin. There was no mention of salvation. And what it did, it presented a message of tolerance without repentance. And it wanted to show Jesus as being accepting. Yes, he was. He hung out with the sinners and, and the riffraff of society, but he always called them to a better life. He always called them. Uh, you know, and I might get some backlash from saying that, but it illustrates how easy it is to mess with the context and present a false idea. The humanity of Jesus is without question, fully God, fully man. 
He did engage with the outcasts and the rejects of society, but he was holy and he was righteous. And he didn't wink at sin. You know, he called them to account. He called them to change. Uh, he, he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. His humanity is only half the story. And that's where that commercial absolutely fell short, is it didn't show the complete Jesus. And I think today in this world of confusion, uh, we need a complete Jesus. He needs to be shown for who he is. Uh, you know, like I said last week, I, I don't think that people intentionally, most people intentionally misquote the Bible or take it out of context. But what I want to accomplish with this series is I want us to slow down in our Bible reading and read for quality, not quantity. You know, most people start out in January and they have an objective. They want to, win, they want to read through the entire Bible in a year. Well, that's a noble goal. But how about slow it down and read for accumulation of information or knowledge or wisdom, as it were, instead of just checking a box that you read the reading? Because the ultimate goal is about discipleship. It's about growing and, listen, spiritual maturity, the maturation process spiritually is not, it's not time, okay? In other words, it's not, growth is a biological process. You know, when a baby's born, that baby will grow biologically unless there's some, unless there's some problem. Not happening with spiritual growth. Spiritual growth requires discipline. And it's something that we have to do ourselves. And so um, if we're going to read the Bible, let's read it, let's slow down and read it and glean as much as we can. You know, now last week we looked at how Paul encouraged Timothy to work hard at handling God's word because how we handle God's word determines whether or not we're going to be an approved worker or an ashamed worker. Remember, he said, study to show yourself how? Approved unto God, not being ashamed. Paul said, again, in verse 15, 2 Timothy 2, 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So the points last week were stay hungry, work hard, and correctly handle his word. Now, uh, before I get right into my series, let me uh, take the, the, tonight's lesson, let me just throw out this, this uh, how would I want to say this? Well, let me just say it like this. Um, this series might be interesting, and, and I hope it is, but I might land on some favorite scriptures that we have, and I don't want you to get mad at me. <laughs> if, we, if we unpack some of these uh, maybe differently than what we've used them in the past, I want us to hear what the... Uh, my, my intent's not to ruffle feathers, rather to help us crave his truth, because it's only his truth that sets captive free. And that's what he said. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Not man's truth, not man's version of the truth. Like I said last week, most of the time when you hear somebody say, well, to me, that scripture means, well, then that's wrong. That's an eisegetic or an eisegetic thing where you now are in, you're now putting your emotions into what the Bible says. We don't need that. We need what God says. Exegesis. So tonight our text is Matthew 18, 20. Again, we know it well, for where two or three gather together in my name, I am there in the midst. David Platt, uh, author, said, our goal in Bible study is not to determine our personal meaning of a verse. Our goal is to discover what the Holy Spirit meant when he gave us the verse. I think that ac accurately sums up what it means to study the Bible. Is Our goal is not to say what it means to me, but rather what does the Holy Spirit mean by saying this. And so, so let's talk about the context of Matthew 18, 20. Now we can handle it. You, remember the context, you've got to read before and after to really kind of see what's going on. So in the opening verses of Matthew 18, uh, here we find the disciples once again are they're struggling or debating or arguing, if it were, uh, as it were, to, as to who is the greatest, okay? Uh, Jesus puts a child in the middle of them, and he tells them that they have to become like one of these little children. And then in verse 6, he warns them about causing children to sin, and he describes what's going to happen to those who, who do it. So, so the challenge, uh, he then challenges followers to to be severe about dealing with their own sins, 
okay? Verses 12 through 14, he described, again, I preached on this, uh, he, he described how a shepherd seeks after one straying sheep after leaving the 99 on the mountain, and he goes to look for the one that's out in danger. And then there's great rejoicing at the lost lamb that comes home. So, the, so we could summarize the first part of this chapter like this. We must deal with our own selfishness and sins, and we must also seek out those who are straying. So that's that's where he started. Now we get to verse 15, and he tells his followers what to do when someone... Anybody ever been done wrong? Today? No, no. Yeah, so so in verse 15, he tells tells the followers, those who are listening, what to do when someone sins against them. Notice what he said. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother, okay? So he's given them instructions on how to handle interpersonal conflict. Uh, When someone sins against us, the first step is probably the hardest, and maybe that's why most people don't do it. (laughs) Uh, The first step is a very difficult step. In, In fact, as I said, it's, it's, it's so difficult, most people skip right over it. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one. The other uh, reason is I don't want to camp on this step because I believe that most conflicts can be resolved. I really do. I believe that most conflicts can be resolved at that level. If there's conflict between two people, they should be man enough, woman enough to be able to work it out, especially if you're a believer. You see, we have the ace in the hole. There ought, to be, there ought to be a way that we can, again, if we, if we truly want to honor Christ with our lives, then there should be a way that we can work out our differences with other people. Um, there are three ways to handle conflict and sin. Number one, uh, and, I, and I like the way, uh, I forget who it was. I, uh, I, f- I found this, I thought I quoted him. Well, anyway, he gave me, th- <laughs> so, so this guy wrote down, three ways to handle conflict. One of them is peace faking, F-A-K-I-N-G, peace faking. And what he said was a peace faker is one who avoids conflict at all costs and behaves like a turtle in a shell. So in other words, when something happens that's uncomfortable, they withdraw. And, and you know what? A lot of people do that. You know, if, if, if you have somebody in your life, in your circle, and they tend to start backing off a little bit, Houston, we got a problem. That's probably a good indicator that there's been some some rub or some angst between that relationship. Uh, so do you do you do that? Are you a tur- turtle? Tur- anyway, I, I, sorry. <laughs> do you do you uh, uh, do you act like a turtle? Do you kind of withdraw? Another one he called. Uh, so there's peace faking, then there's peace breaking, and these people function more like skunks. Is what he said. I like that. He said they, they function more like skunks and they spray everything around them when conflict hits. Uh, anybody know any skunk? No, don't even raise your hand. So, so they're, they're attacking. That's what that means. They're attacking. He said the third level is peacemaking. We can handle conflict by avoiding it like a turtle or we can, uh, or we can spray, <laughs> you know, more vitriol, if you will, or we can be the third one, peacemaker. This is probably the most difficult uh, because it involves a lot of work. But it's biblical. It's biblical. Peacemakers are willing to candidly discuss conflict and the sins because ultimately the goal is reconciliation. The Bible says we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. Okay? Stephen Cole gives four steps, and this is where I wanted to, this is who I was thinking of. Stephen Cole gives four steps to peace when handling conflict. Number one, Again, according to Scripture, I'm building context. So number one, he says, a private meeting. That's what the Bible says, verse 15. If you're going to handle conflict, the first step is for a private meeting. Uh, the, uh, this is where you, you know, if you, if you know that there's issues between a brother or sister, uh, if they've actually sinned against you, he said, if your brother sins against you, okay, it's important. Now, you say, well, that's pretty subjective. Well, it is because sometimes we label, label something sin, when it's actually a preference, right? So we have to be careful. If someone, if a brother or sister sins, again, we can, it, it, it could be our preference, it could be a pet peeve, a personality trait. 
In those instances, what do we do? Well, I mean, Paul said in Ephesians 4, bear with one another. In other words, if somebody likes, you know, if somebody likes this and you don't like that, well, bear with them in love. Amen? Sometimes we're called to overlook something and not say a word. Proverbs 19.11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is to his glory to overlook an offense. Listen, there's some things, it, it would be good for us to put, I, I like the way you described it, petty things in a grace box. <laughs> a grace box. We've been given grace. Grace is unmerited favor, unearned favor. And, and we ought to have a grace box. We ought, to, we ought to be free to give grace to those who, who offend us. It's, it, you know, not, everything, not everything deserves DEFCON 4. Not, not everything needs to go to that ultimate ex- extreme. You know, we bear some things and we overlook other things, but we can't put up with, we, we can't put up with sin. Um, one writer says the church should be a safe place for sinners without being a safe place for sin. I like that. It ought to be a safe place for sinners, but not a safe place for sin. Sin should be dealt with. You know, that's, that's what we're here for. If, if a brother or sister has sinned against you, the, the important imperatives of that verse is, is this, go and show. Go and show. Look at the next part of it. Go and tell him his fault between you and him. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say tell your BFF. You see what they did to me. He said, look, if you're going to be biblical about handling conflict with with a brother or sister, go and show. Go to them. And again, be careful. Because what you perceive as a sin may, again, may, may be nothing more than a personal preference, and that should not be elevated to this level. Um, go means to continue to go. It means to pursue. You know, go and try to make things right. We're not to wait until they come to us. The word tell means being convincing. So, so we can't be casual or indifferent and think that it's going to go, you know, some people handle conflict by sweeping it under the rug. How many know after a while you build a tripping hazard? <laughs> if you keep sweeping things under the rug, you're going to create a, a hazard that's going to trip you up down the road. So, so deal with it. You know, be tactful and persistent. Working towards reconciliation is always my responsibility. You've heard me say this for years. I've learned over the years to eat enough crow that I figured out when you put a little salt and pepper on it, it tastes like chicken. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just have to, Sometimes you just have to go and initiate reconciliation because it's my responsibility. Whether I've sinned against someone, uh, you know, Matthew 5, or we've been sinned against, Matthew 18, it's always our duty to seek reconciliation. And that first step is to do it between the two parties. You don't need to bring everybody in. You don't need to get people up in your business Sometimes it's just helpful to stay in your lane. Or, you know, my parents used to call it, mind your own business. Sometimes it's just helpful just to mind our own business. You know, life is too stressful to be worried about what other people are doing, right? I, I, I marvel at these people that, that have their nose in everybody's business. I'm thinking, how do you have time to keep your nose in people's business when you ought to be, right? I mean, I don't know how they do it. <laughs> You know, someone, if a brother or sister sinned against us, we should, uh, you know, he, he or she should be the first to know, right? If they sinned against us, they should be the first to know. Um, conflict will, be, will not be resolved accidentally, but intentionally. And this is a step that's often overlooked. Again, when we're done wrong, the first thing we want to do is hit DEFCON 4. We want, we want to go to z- from 0 to, to 100 in 2 seconds. And sometimes we just shouldn't. Um, and, and I think it's an important step, number one. Why? Because, number one, I think it's the reason that that is important, it avoids shame for the person. Our job is not to make somebody feel small. It's not. Our job is not to heap guilt on them. The Bible, that's not what we're here for. If you go public with your offense without talking to that person, it can bring shame on them. 
And it could be one of those things that they never recover from. How many of you have, have run across people that have been wounded by the church in the past? There are people that will not go to church today because of some wounds that were done. And I would venture to say that, that a good number of the times it's because they didn't, they didn't follow this pattern. When something was done, they, they skipped this part right here of going between the two, and they went to DEFCON 4, and it brought shame on them. Proverbs 17.9 says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. How many friendships have been severed because we run our mouth? Because we skip this part instead of going to that person and say, look, I, I just need some understanding, some clarification. Can you help me? We go with we go tell Susie and Johnny and you know we 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 talk to the people that anyway I'm not going to say that <laughs> that we shouldn't. Another thing it does it minimizes misunderstanding. The truth is sometimes we misunderstood and it could be clear it could be cleared up just like that by being willing to sit down and say hey help me to understand. There was a story that I I remember in Joshua 22. Uh, and, and you can read it later, but in Joshua 22, there's a story about the two and a half tribes that stayed on the other side of the river, okay? Um, they, uh, they were on the other side of the river, and they set up an altar. Well, the other tribes went ballistic that they set up an altar and accused them of some pretty vile things. You can read it in Joshua 22. And when the two and a half tribes explained to them that they did it as a witness to teach their children the issue was resolved, didn't have conflict. Um, so the Israelites misunderstood. I, I think how easy it is for us to misunderstand uh, people. Number, number, the third thing is it keeps us from hating the person. Leviticus 19, 17 says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall, re listen to what he said, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. Reason with him. Sit down and be willing. You know, talking is a lost art, right? We're keyboard warriors today. Man, these things here, we can, man, we can set people straight. <laughs> we can give them a piece of our mind, and we can do it from the comfort of our lazy boy. A lot would be solved if you just sit down and talk. And another thing it does, that other person may not know they've offended you. Have you ever run across a situation like that where they, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know, I did not know that upset you. I, you know, it gives, it, it, again, it makes room for reconciliation. That's the goal. Sometimes, you know, and you, you hear me say, look, I would never intentionally hurt anybody. I, would, I, I do my best to serve honorably. I, I, I work hard. I go all the time. But you know what? There are times I blow it. And, 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 and you know what? And it's probably going to happen more because I'm just a human becoming. I'm not perfect. No matter how much I love you and how much I would do anything in the world for you, I'm bound to drop the ball at times. And I would never do it to hurt. It, it, I don't like hurting people. You know, sometimes I never know that something I said or something I overlooked was elevated to a place of offense unless somebody comes and says, you know, Pastor Mike, I, and, and you know, I, I said something about that lady that came to me many years ago. I appreciate the fact she came to me. She was off base and was wrong but at least she came to me. She could have left and never said anything, left me wondering what happened. But she came. Again, a lot of, a lot of things would be cleared up if we just sat down and talk. The last thing it does, it limits gossip. It limits gossip. Many of us often go to others with gossip that we should be talking to the person in private with. Proverbs 25, 9 says, argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not reveal another's secret. Wow. <laughs> Did you know that was in the Bible? That's a good, that's good. Argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not reveal another's secret. When was the last time we practiced going and showing without saying a word to anybody else? Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 7, he said, you hypocrite? <laughs> First, 
take the log out of your own eye, then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You know, we like getting the speck out of somebody else's eye, but we can't see, you know, I like that song, I can see clearly now, the log is gone. <laughs> you know, you say, well, how do you do that? Well, I th- I, one pastor, he put it like this. He said, a, a way to approach it would be something like this. Say, could you help me understand what happened here? You know, I, I, I really want to know. You know, you don't have to go with an accusatory tone. Just go and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I, I, help me to understand. You know, this is the way I see it. Can you help me to bring some clarification? I think the biggest reason for telling in private is because of what Jesus said. He said, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. If he listens to you, if that person listens, you've gained that relationship. If we skip this step and we start telling other people, we short-circuit that person's restoration. The word gain is a financial term, and what it means is I've invested myself, now there will be a profit. I don't have time this this evening to tell you. I've shared with you my story. Um, when I was 10 years old, my, my grandfather founded the church I grew up in in Alabama. And uh, we attended that church my early years of, of, of uh, growing up. But when I was around 10, something happened. And again, I was too young to understand. But something happened. And again, it affected my mother in particular. And again, you know my story with my mom. Uh, she became a very angry person, very hostile, because something happened in the church. And even to this day, I don't know, and I don't really need to know. But what happened was there was something done that set her on a course of anger and frustration and hostility that bled over into the family relationship. I ran away from home at 17 because of my mother. Um, so I've seen firsthand when you skip that step of going to a person and working it out, it can lead to long-term negative effects. Um, the second step would be a private conference with witnesses. So notice the progression. We have, first we go to that individual, and he says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now that's a quote directly from Deuteronomy 19.15. So in the Old Testament, you, a person could not be convicted on the word of just one witness. There had to be more. So this was for the protection so that no one would pass along slanderous information that was not confirmed. It had to be confirmed. Um, having two witnesses or other witnesses, they can help establish the fact by saying something like, you know what, I'm, he's not making it up. I was there. I saw it. They can observe the reaction of that person when they get caught. You know, you ever seen the little, I, I love watching little videos of kids, you know, and you see a kid that has their hand in the cook, cookie jar. You know, and then they get caught, and they look pretty sheepish, like, I didn't do anything. What are you talking about? Or they say, he did it, or she did it. You know, they, witnesses can help things from escalating. You know, we live in a powder keg world right now. We have road rage, highway rage. I mean, we coin terms like going postal. Right? I mean, it's sad that we live in such a violent world that people are so angry. Having witnesses can help de-escalate a situation. Again, the objective is restoration. Uh, If your spiritual sibling, and that's what we are, brothers and sisters, repents, then we restore and we stop the process and we don't tell anybody else about it. If he or she does not accept it, then we move on to step three. Here's step three. And, and boy, it, wouldn't this fly in today's culture? <laughs> Step three is a public announcement to the church. Wow. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now, the idea is not gossip. Not gossip. It's restoration, reconciliation. This is a sobering, sorrowful, and serious moment that should never be rushed into. Because irreparable harm can be done if you don't follow the procedure. You think about, again, Defcon, this is DEFCON 4. And I've seen some knuckleheads that call themselves pastors that have called people out without ever having done the first two steps. That's wrong. 
That's wrong. It should never happen. But it does. You know, we're not, God didn't call us, God didn't call me as a pastor to be a, a, a spiritual private eye. Going around checking up on people. Stalking Facebook to see if they post something inappropriate. It's not my business. In the context I'm talking about. Right? Again, we, we, we rush to things. You know, we, we're not on a witch hunt. We're not called to be the sin police. Not at all. Membership has its privileges and its responsibilities. And, and, and this level, like the first two, is meant to be loving, though it may not seem like it. The goal is reconciliation. And the congregation's role in a step like this is to plead and pray for a changed heart in that individual. That's what the role is. It's all about reconciling. I shared with you, um, man, I've got so much information. <laughs> when, when I pastored our little church in, in Germany when I was stationed overseas, I, I've shared with you before about that soldier I had asked to lead a Bible study in, in the barracks. He was a single guy. I'd ask him to do a Bible study. I never prayed about it. I just thought I was impressed with his, he memorized a lot of scripture and didn't pray about it. And I just said, hey, why don't you start a Bible study? And it'd be kind of cool to have a representation in the dorm. And uh, before we ever launched that Bible study, one Sunday night, I'm preaching, finished up with service, had a, had a real good service, good altar call, getting ready to dismiss. He comes walking right down the middle aisle of the church. Well, I thought he wanted to kind of ex- do an, you know, exhort the congregation or something. He walks up on the platform, puts his finger in my face, and he said, you're a liar. Everything you've done here tonight, everything you've said has been a lie and just ripped right into me. And you know it was God's grace because at that point, I was barely out of my rebellious years. And my first impulse was I wanted to knock his block off into, you know, I wanted to lay hands on him suddenly and lead him to Jesus and maybe even introduce him real quick. I was restrained. The Holy Spirit, I, I can't, the Holy Spirit restrained me. I didn't say anything. I just simply said, hey, let's stand and be dismissed. You know, a couple of my elders were headed up there, and I'm like, no, we're, we're okay. Uh, I ain't afraid, you know. So pray dismissed. I was heartbroken. Went to the Lord in prayer, and the Lord said, don't ever, ever assume to put people in ministry positions that you've not asked me about. And, again, I still didn't understand why. I had a lady call me, and she had told me a conversation that happened the same night right before service in the rec center that had I known, I mean, it, it devastated me that he would say something like he did to this, to this lady. So right there, I knew that God was working, saving my ignorance and my naivete. What happened down the road, two months later, this same guy calls me and he says, uh, Pastor Mike, he said, I owe you an apology. He said, I was wrong. And he said, I ask you to forgive me. He said, God showed me, woke me up tonight and showed me that I needed to make this right. Came back, apologized to the church, and was there until I left. That's the proper step. We worked it, you know, we worked it out. I met with him for lunch. Listen, it, it's important. And if that step doesn't work, if, if that doesn't lead to reconciliation, the last step is public exclusion from the church. And that is very, very drastic. He says in verse 17, if he refuses to listen to, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And there was nothing more despised than a tax collector. It hadn't changed in 2,000 years. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the tax man cometh. That's what he said. Put him out. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 3, If anyone does not obey what we say in this, in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. The idea of exclusion is to make that person repent. Now, today's culture, that would be rare for it to work because today we demand our rights. Well, I have a right, and if you don't let me do this, I'm going to go to the church down the street. And what happens is we're so easy to, to, to do that that we never get to the place of repentance and restoration in our walk with the Lord. So we walk around with a... With, with a, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? 
we're less connected. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling to try to put it in words. We, we assume that we are better than what we really are, if, if that makes sense. We're, we walk around, we're not whole because we've not, we've not taken care of things that, you know, the Bible says if you don't love your brother, <laughs> you know, if you have issues with it, remember what he said, if you, if you have issues when you come to make your offering and there you remember something's wrong, he said, you better stop what you're doing and go make it right because I won't listen to you. That's pretty drastic. He says to husbands and wives, he said, look, if you're fussing and fighting and you're not getting along, I'm not. He said, make it right so that your prayers are not hindered. He's pretty serious about that. Now, the exact form of this exclusion is not specified. Um, but again, the objective is restoration. You disassociate for reconciliation. The word discipline comes from the same word, disciple, to teach. Your parents make a distinction between um, between restorative discipline and vindictive punishment. I've often said, if you punish your children because you're mad, that's abuse. But if you punish your children for correction, that's discipleship. That's what it's about. It's about correcting an erroneous behavior. But if you're doing it because they messed up your football watching or whatever, that's abuse and that's wrong. So, I gotta hurry. So these these four steps can be very intimidating, but that's the context. Okay, so that's that's what this verse is talking about. Knowing how difficult these four steps are, Jesus gave us two promises. Number one, he promises his power. Knowing that those four steps are very difficult, it's very difficult to confront. I mean, I'd hate to go to John and say, John, look, man, we got some issues, buddy. Let's talk about it. No, no, John would talk to me. Would you? Okay. <laughs> I think he would. <laughs> we, yeah. We, you know, so he knows, understands how difficult it is. That's a very difficult thing for a human being to do. We, we, we like sweeping things under the rug. That's our mode of operation right there. We sweep it under the rug. We ignore it. We pretend. We hope it goes away. You know, if you do that in marriage, you're in trouble because it will come back to bite. You know what? If it does it in marriage, you'll do it in other relationships. So Jesus promises two things. Number one, he says he gives us the promise of his power. So when you and I pursue biblical peacemaking and we follow these four steps, verses 18 and 19, here's what he says. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree as touching about anything on earth, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So what's, what does that mean? Heaven itself endorses the activity of the church when discipline is done in the proper manner. He said, you come together and I'll be there. And, and that's, and that's the, the second promise is the promise of his presence. Verse 20, he says, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am among them. See, that's the context. Notice the two or three that's mentioned there are the same witnesses in verses 16 and verse 19. Same witnesses. Let everything be established by two or three witnesses. So now where they're gathered for what? For reconciliation. For restoring conflict. He said, I'm there in the middle. That, that's, that's, that's the context. The context of this, this verse is how you and I handle conflict according to Scripture. He's with us. As we seek to reconcile with a brother or a sister who has strayed. It's a whole different spin. Now, again, I think the precedent is in Scripture that we can say where we gather, Jesus is there, okay? But that verse that we quote oftentimes, and I do it too. I, I, I've probably said it on a Sunday morning. Well, we're two or three gather. He's here. Well, he is. But that's not what that verse means. It means when you go to make things right with a brother or sister that there's that there's, there's angst between. He said, I give you my presence and I give you my power. I'm there with you. Why? Because he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Again, we tend to, to, to limit this verse to small, a small gathering, but God declared <laughs> we'd never be alone. So why would we need that verse to say, well, we've got to have two or three, otherwise he won't be here. So let me just wrap this up, some application of this. Well, I think a question we ask, am I treating that? So, so if, there's, 
here's a way to live. If, if other people are treating us wrong, we have to ask ourselves, am I treating the other per- person that I'm in conflict with, pardon me, as someone whom God loves? That puts a whole different perspective on it. He's about people. He loves people. So am I treating that other person as one whom God loves? Verse 15 uses the word brother twice, indicates God doesn't want there to be friction in the family. How many like family drama? Yeah, I, I don't either. You know, drama is for the stage, not for life. There are people that don't get together for Thanksgiving or Christmas because it's going to be family drama. It's sad. You know, I, I've, I've officiated many funerals down over 30 years, and, and I'm telling you, I've seen, some, I've seen things that just absolutely would blow your mind because somebody thinks somebody's going to get more than them, or, I mean, it's just, just bizarre. They're brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, and, and, and yet at the thought of $5, they're going to sever a relationship. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> my dad, I was the executor of my dad's estate. My dad, my dad set us all down, all five of us one day, and he said, I have an older brother and older sister. He said, I'm making Mike the executor. My other sister is going to be co he said, I'm telling him what's going to happen, and if, and if you don't, if you start making a ruckus, he said he's instructed to put it, give it all to the church. And they knew that dad wasn't playing, and they knew I wouldn't play because I wanted to honor my dad and do whatever he said. Yeah, am I treating the other person as someone whom he loves? Abraham did the same thing. Remember in Genesis 13? He, he, Lot, the issue with Lot, he said, hey, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Number two, is, it, is my goal reconciliation or retaliation? That's a big one right there. I mean, there's something innate in all of us. We want to get even. In fact, not only do we want to get even, we sit there and think about how we're going to get even. We pray for that truck to come out of nowhere and boom, just plow them down. I know, hey, we we laugh, but but we've been called to reconcile for the ministry. You know what one of the the badges that we wear for our community, for the non-believer? He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And if you love one another, love does what? It covers a multitude of sin. That's, that's what we've been called to. That's why not everybody, you know, everybody talks about Christianity. Well, you know, that's for women and old people. Now, I'm telling you, it's a, it, you know, to be a, to be a believer, you've got to be a strong man or woman because you've got you've to put down that old flesh, that old nature that says, punch them. How about a knuckle sandwich? And walk in honor of him. And then the last one is this. How's my attitude? <laughs> Before I go to my brother and sister and start this process, I need to make sure that I'm not going to them with this air of spirituality, of spiritual superiority, but I'm to go with humility, looking to reconcile with a brother or sister. Galatians, Paul gives instructions like this. Galatians 6, he said, Brothers, If anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For for if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, (laughs) deceives himself. So are we willing to obey that? See, again, that, that verse in the context is about how we handle conflict with other people. And the promise is when we... When we handle, when we follow these steps to deal with conflict and offense, his power is with us. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and his presence is with us. Where two or three, where your witnesses are, I'm there. What is he doing? He's he's enabling us to do what we cannot do on our own. Only by the Spirit, only by God's Spirit can I love the unlovable. Only by God's spirit can I serve the detestable. She said, I'll be there. C.S. Lewis one time said, 
Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have someone to forgive. <laughs> it's not far from the truth there. I'm going to close with this story. I've got to not put so much information in here. 100, over 100 years ago, how many, of, how many of you have ever heard of the uh, large statue uh, of, of Christ that's erected outside of uh, in the Andes Mountains between Argentina and Chile? Well, I read an interesting story about that. So, so that, that statue was erected to, to, to be a peace, as a symbol of peaceful resolution between that border dispute, okay? That's what happened. There was a border dispute, so they got together, both sides, and they decided to erect this massive statue of Jesus as a symbol of this peaceable way that they came to an agreement. Uh, the statue was called Christ the Redeemer of the Andes. And uh, it was constructed of cannons that were used in the war. And this statue serves as a pledge that there will be peace between Chile and Argentina. And shortly after it was erected, the Chileans began to protest. Here's why they were upset. Because they said they were slighted because of the statue had its back to Chile. And he was looking <laughs> at Argentina. And so they felt slighted. <laughs> Poor things. Uh, and so as tempers mounted and rose and, 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 and got to a fever pitch, the newspaper article uh, in Chile ran a, uh, or actually ran a story, and it actually saved the day. And here's the, here's the words. Uh, here's what it said. It said, it's okay. The people of Argentina need more watching over than the Chileans. <laughs> and, and it was a comical thing, uh, but it took the heat off, and they were okay with it. And I think it just showed them real quick how foolish and infantile something like that was really. And, and I think today the cross and the empty tomb stand for symbols of, of a far deeper reality. And that reality is this, that Jesus gave his life, was buried and was resurrected to grant us reconciliation and peace. And Paul said, if it's possible, be at peace with all people. That means my side be peaceful. Now, again, you can't make other people receive your, your, extent, your olive branch, but it's, up, it's up, up to us to extend it. Don't you stand with me tonight. Let's remember that promise where two or three gather in his name, he's there with us. As, you know, if you have conflict with somebody, you know, ask God, you know, and, and you say, well, that's hard. It is hard. Ask God to help you. Ask God to guide you to, to open up opportunities because he's all about reconciliation. Christ came as our atoning sacrifice to reconcile us to the Father, restore that relationship. And that's what he wants us to do with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. So, again, that verse is one that we take out of context quite often, but that's the, that's the context of Matthew 18, 20, is that when we find ourselves in conflict, there is a proper way, process, of dealing with that conflict, and as we go through those steps, we have the promise of his power, and we have the promise of his presence, and he can help us do what we could not do. I want you to bow with me as we close in prayer tonight. And, and, and I'm just going to ask this, maybe you're here tonight and you say, you know, pastor, that really was helpful because I have some areas of conflict in my life and I, I just really didn't know how to deal with it. And, and now I'm, 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 I think the lights come on and I need to pray a little bit and ask God to help me to bring that reconciliation that's so desperately needed uh, in my life. Uh, he would do it because that's his ministry. That's what he, he came to bring reconciliation. Uh, so if you're online tonight, if you'll comment We'll pray with you if you're here tonight and say, Pastor, help me. There's some er Just pray for me tonight because there's some areas that I need to make some things right. I need to, I need to tackle that. If that's you, just slip in right, right back down. I'm going to pray for you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Father, tonight I love you, and I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that there's power in the name of Jesus, and there's power in your word. Lord, that tonight as we have unpacked this very popular verse, Lord, and seeing really contextually what it is all about. Lord, help us to, to know that this getting along thing, you really meant it. You meant for us to get along with each other. And I know that's hard, but you've promised to give us the abiding presence and power of your Holy Spirit that would be with us, that will walk with us, that never leaves us. 
So, Lord, may we walk with that awareness that you're always with us and that you, uh, Lord, that you enable us to do what we otherwise could not do ourselves. I pray for the hands that went up tonight, those that are online tonight. Maybe there's areas of conflict in their life right now. Maybe there's things that, uh, Lord, that you've just kind of illuminated for them in their spirit. Lord, I pray that you would, would help us to do that thing which is very difficult. And, Lord, as we do, Lord, you said if, we, uh, if, if that one listens, we, we gain a brother. Lord, there's reconciliation. Lord, let us be peaceful people. Lord, let us be lights that shine in others' darkness. Now, Father, I pray you'll bless each one here tonight. Take us out of here. May we rest sweetly and soundly in you. May we wake up in the morning with a spring in our step and a song in our heart and put people in our pathway that we can share the good news of Jesus Christ. Bring us again on Sunday, should you tarry, Lord, even now, ordain what you're going to do. Bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west that need an encounter with you. I love and bless each one now in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you and I love you very much.